welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Deli. This week has been a holy week like we've never seen before. Across the world, the Triduum liturgies are being celebrated in empty churches, and all eyes are on the Vatican, where Pope Francis's somber liturgies and his historic Urbi et Orbi blessing have reflected the sorrow not just of Jesus's passion, but of the world during the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me today to discuss how that pandemic is changing the liturgical life of the Church is Archbishop Arthur Roach, Secretary of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Archbishop Roach. Thank you, Colleen. Um, So just to start out, to situate our listeners, uh, you're the Secretary of the Congregation for Divine Worship, which is headed by Cardinal Robert Seurat. Could you explain for our listeners what your job in that congregation is? Yeah, well, I suppose the, uh, the Secretary is a very ancient title. It isn't, um, it isn't that I go around following the cardinal, taking notes and then typing <laughs> them up. The secretary is the, is the one who manages the dicastery. Got it. So the, the, the cardinal prefect is the one who is responsible for the work, and the, the secretary ensures that it happens. So let's talk about how the coronavirus pandemic has uh, impacted the work of the congregation. Is there, is there any kind of precedent for this kind of situation at the Vatican, or, or is this something new? Well, no. I mean, well, within living memory, it, it's it's new, right? And um, although Italy itself is in lockdown, in fact, all the dicasteries of the uh, Holy See are still working. And um, as you know, the responsibility of the Holy See is to assist the Pope in his office as successor of Peter, the one who is the servant of the servants of God. And so we're there to keep our eyes open and our ears attentive, and to flag up concerns uh, or to answer questions so as to enable the Holy Father as Supreme Pastor to respond to the needs of the Church. And in our congregation of divine worship and discipline of the sacraments, we're dealing with matters of liturgy and also the discipline of sacraments. And there's always plenty of work, even outside of a pandemic. You were involved in developing these special rubrics for um, the Mass in Time of Pandemic. Um, I was wondering if you could talk to me about, you know, why you thought it was so important. What what prompted uh, the Congregation for Divine Worship to develop this? Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, you know, we were actually prompted to do that by various bishops' conferences throughout the world. They asked for it? They, they were asking, can we help them, you know, to articulate this in in a liturgical way in the Mass. And on evaluation, the Holy Father agreed to it. In fact, a Mass already exists for any necessity in the Roman Missal, Mm -hmm. which the Holy Father himself was using during his televised Masses each morning uh, in his chapel at Santa Marta. Mm -hmm. However, the bishops thought that there ought to be something a little more specific, that cried out for healing and help, for protection and grace, and that also remembered not only the sick, but also those who had died because of the pandemic and those who mourned for them, as well as for those who put their own lives at risk to help them in this present situation. So that's how this mess developed, and we were able to... uh, uh, complete that within a very short period of time, and the Holy Father signed off on it, and it's now been distributed for use throughout the world. 
are you involved in planning the Triduum liturgies at the Vatican? And if so, you know, what's that planning process like? Well, <laughs> there, there exists a special office uh, for papal liturgies, and which is the office of papal ceremonies. Um, and that's quite separate from the congregation. Um, and it includes, for example, the Sistine Choir, the management of that choir. It's also very ably managed by Monsignor Guido Marini, mm-hmm. who's very familiar to people who watch papal ceremonies, always on the left side of the Pope. He's the master of ceremonies. Right. Normally, we wouldn't be involved with the planning of these events as the guidance and the rules for the celebration of any liturgy are clearly laid out in the liturgical books. However, on this occasion, we were involved due to the unusual circumstances and the need to respond to them without damaging the integrity of the liturgical rites, while taking into account that the churches in the vast majority of countries would be empty, servers would be missing, choirs would not be assembled, and the priest himself would be alone. So the obvious question is, what do you do in these circumstances? Right. And we were able to work at that together so as to make the ceremonies manageable, especially for an individual priest. Mm-hmm. So Palm Sunday, for example, was celebrated, as we know, inside churches without processions outside. And the Chrism Mass, which normally takes place during Holy Week, uh, and which foresees the participation of all the priests of the diocese together with his bishop, um, clearly is not possible in these circumstances. So we've given permission for that to be celebrated at another date in the in the year, when presumably we'll be out of this uh, particular situation. So... You know, to think all of that out, to save the integrity of the liturgy, we've worked alongside with Monsignor Marini because obviously many people will be looking at the Vatican to see how the Holy Father is celebrating um, these ceremonies. And millions of people watch him every year in, in this circumstance. That's right. I noticed that, you know, this is interesting to me because I'm in the media, but one thing that was prioritized in the document was like the importance of praying all together at the same time. And that was more important than, you know, watching a, a video that had been pre-taped of a mass later on. Um, even if somebody couldn't see a video, they they were asked to pray at the same time as their, as their church. So I, I just wanted to ask you about like, what were some of the things that were important to you as you were, you know, creating these guidelines? Well, on that point, for example, I mean, the 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 liturgy isn't a film. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't something you can just sort of, you know, watch the first part and then have a cup of tea and then right. come back to the second part and so on. It's an actual event. It's a it's a most solemn prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, for most people this year, this will be a very painful moment because it's part of our faith to. Um, practice the liturgy, to love the Mass. I mean, it's part of the practice of our faith to go to Sunday Mass each week. Right. And the Paschal Mystery and the Sacred Triduum is at the heart of all we ever celebrate in liturgy, mm-hmm. and which is, in a lesser way, celebrated each Sunday, and that's why it's so important to us. 
you know, as I've been thinking about this, it it just seems to me that um, this situation reminds me very much of what must have happened historically at the moment, at this moment of our Lord's life, as recorded in the Gospels. Hmm. We're told there that um, the disciples were behind locked doors, as indeed we find ourselves too. That's right. Their locked doors, of course, were because they feared the community outside. Ours are due to a different fear, which is due to COVID-19. But, you know, all fear is ultimately a fear of death, mm. whether it's fear of spiders or viruses. <laughs> and, and what are we celebrating in the Paschal Mystery? We're celebrating an end to the sting of death and the overcoming of all evil by Christ through his passion, death, and resurrection. And that's where our strength is, in him who is the Lord of life. And that's why it's so important that we follow the priest live, because he's actually celebrating that in our local churches, on the altar, and which we, from afar, are still participating uh, in that. So many people will be following these liturgies, I think, through social media. And um, it's important, therefore, that the the times the, are published of when they can actually tune in to Mass or to one of the more solemn liturgies over these coming days. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you mentioned how jarring this is for a lot of people. Uh, can you talk a bit about what advice you might have for Catholics who are celebrating at home? Well, I think a lot of dioceses and certainly some Episcopal conferences throughout the world are putting out some ideas on the on the web as to how they can keep alive the memory of these days in in a domestic setting. Clearly, many people will follow the liturgical celebrations through social media. Many will pray the rosary in link-ups via radio, television, or web, or privately. Mm-hmm. And um, we're living in an exceptional moment, but. We also remember that Jesus in the gospel speaks to us about personal prayer, inviting us to pray in our rooms and therefore in in our own homes and not just in church. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know, of course, that by its nature, the Christian faith is um, in relationship and community, relationship with God, relationship with each other, and our common prayer and our common participation at the altar of the Lord, is fundamental to us. But in this moment of trial, the challenge is to stop the contagion without stopping the prayer. Right. So while the churches are not open for Mass, we can still connect with that through the media in a, in a, in a real way, in, a, in an actual way, and also maintain our own prayer. Indeed, the time for prayer has increased, I think, with the threat of this uh, virus with us. Um, I want to talk about this Herbie at Orbe address that I brought up at the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah. This was on March 27th. Can you talk about, you know, the significance of this gesture from the Pope? Yeah. uh, You know, the thing that most 
forcibly impressed itself on me that night was how very sensitive the Pope is to situations, to the sufferings and anxiety of people. To use his own phrase, uh, he's a man with the smell of the sheep on him. Mm. He knows people and he has all the sensitivity of a loving parish priest for his flock. This was a moment that broke down the social, psychological and spiritual barriers of a lockdown throughout the world that reached out to and beyond those constraints that have been created not only by social distancing, but also by fear and deep anxiety, and that created a sense of being together in this time of emergency and of being close to each other in this situation of pandemic, and not least for those who are now separated from their loved ones who are in hospital at an hour of their greatest need for closeness and whom they can't visit because of the danger of contagion. But you know, what was interesting about this blessing of the city and the world, Urbi et Orbi, was that this was not a personal blessing by the Pope, as happens at Christmas and Easter. Hmm. What do you mean? Well, the Pope blessed the entire world with the Eucharistic presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. He used the monstrance with the consecrated host in it, not his own hand, Mm. to bless the world. Oh, that's so interesting. That's never been done before. And in itself, it breaks through another barrier of time and space, a benediction of the Blessed Sacrament of the whole world. Mm. And in that, he was telling people that the one who sacrificed his own life for our salvation and for our eternal life, and who is present with us in this blessed sacrament, was very close to us even now in this lockdown, in these moments of anxiety and fear and illness and despair, of risk-taking by medics, etc. I think it was very powerful. And I think that the silence of that night, the stillness and the emptiness of the square, reflecting our own feelings of helplessness and emptiness, was a very eloquent sign to the 11 million people who were with him at that moment, praying with him, Mm -hmm. and others who've looked at it since. It was very powerful, very moving, and profoundly comforting to people everywhere. Patricia Brush, I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is kind of about what all of this has has taught you um, about, you know, maybe about liturgy, about community. Um, I, I wonder, what are some of the things that you've been reflecting on in this time? Well, I think most of all, it's taught me really how important our life of faith is and how important the liturgy is in actually uh, expressing that. we, Our Lord talked of himself as being the fount of living water, and we know that whenever we go to the Mass, which enacts what happened on Calvary and also what happens in the resurrection, that that fount of living water is made available to it, and but we're a bit adrift without that. Mm-hmm. 
because we want to come close to it. We want to touch it. We want to receive it. We, we want to be there with our Lord. And um, it's taught me that, you know, the importance of the Mass and we see the love of the Mass amongst our Catholic people. But it also tells me, too, that our Catholics are as creative as our priests are. And they won't let this time of uncertainty pass without celebrating what is the certainty of their faith. In other words, what the Lord has achieved, what he has given to us through his suffering and death on the cross and his resurrection. And they'll celebrate it, I feel quite sure, with deep joy, knowing that we're safe with the Lord, who is with us in our anxiety and in our suffering, because he knew what that was personally. He knew what it was to be anxious. He knew what it was to be frightened. He certainly knew what it was to, to suffer. The Pope said the other day something was very interesting, that St. Angela of Foligno, that when she was having a vision of Jesus, Jesus had said to her, You know, Angela, my suffering for you was no joke. It's very real, and we're, we're experiencing some of that suffering ourselves. But you know, we have great faith in the Lord. And we've got to remember that in St. John's Gospel, uh, he says to us, I have said these things to you, that in me you may find peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Our people know that, they feel it, they will celebrate it, because their love for the Lord, not least at this time, is very, very real. That is the perfect place for us to end. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Archbishop Roach, for coming on the show today. Um, and I wish you a, a blessed Holy Week and a happy Easter. Colleen, I wish you and all who are listening to this too a very uh, blessed and happy Easter and a very special Easter where we really feel the power of God at work within us. Amen. Archbishop Arthur Roach is the Secretary of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. For more coverage of the Vatican's Holy Week liturgies, stay tuned to Inside the Vatican, and you can also find print coverage by Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell at americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. For America Media, I'm Colleen Deli. Happy Easter to all our listeners, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>